The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, fellow wanderers. We have reached a point in our journey that I have been looking forward to the most. The story of Baron and Luthien. There's so much packed into this chapter that the next two or three or maybe more episodes will be focused on this story. Today I'll be analyzing the first part of the chapter called Of Baron and Luthien in a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published after his death by Ballantine Books in 1977. A link to purchase The Silmarillion is in the show notes, and if you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to do so because it will change your life. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast. We explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Lago Vanyan, fellow wanderers. Today's date is April 21. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 2841, Thrain, father of Thorin, sets out to reclaim the Lonely Mountain. In the year 2850, Gandalf finds Thrain in the dungeons of Dol Guldur. This is adapted from the Today in Middle-Earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Let's check the map and get the context for today's story. These map checks are a way for new listeners to get a grasp on what's been happening up to this point. But of course, if none of this makes sense, please go back and listen to a few episodes to catch up. It is the first age of Middle-Earth. Morgoth has broken the elven siege against him. Fingolfin, High King of the Noldor, has been slain in battle. Various pockets of elven strength remain, however they are scattered and sundered from one another. Badahir, a man, is stranded in Dorthonian, but alongside his companions, he continues to be troublesome to Morgoth. Today we'll dive deeper into the story of Badahir's son, Baron. The story of Baron and Luthien was one of the earliest stories that Tolkien began to compose in order to provide a narrative to his invented languages. After marrying his wife Edith in 1916, Tolkien served in the military during World War I, but was sent home due to health reasons later that year. After being posted in Yorkshire in 1917, he began to jot down what would later become the tale of Baron and Luthien. In a letter written by Tolkien, he cites three major stories as, quote, the germ of my attempt to write legends of my own to fit my private languages. I love the idea of Tolkien first inventing beautiful languages and then thinking that they need some epic narrative to bring them to life. What a way to derive an idea for a book. And the three stories that he mentions as the beginning of legends for his languages were first, the children of Hurden, second, the fall of Gondolin, and third, the tale of Luthien, Denuviel, and Beren. We've touched on Hurin, and we'll get to him and his children in a few weeks, and you know of Gondolin, but it hasn't fallen yet, and that brings us to the tale of Luthien and Beren. Of this tale, Christopher Tolkien, J.R.R. Sun, wrote the following, quote, This tale is chosen in memoriam because of its deeply rooted presence in his own life, meaning his father's, and his intense thought on the union of Luthien, whom he called the greatest of the Eldar, and of Beren the mortal man. It goes back a long way in my life, 
for it is my earliest actual recollection of some element in a story that was being told to me. I cite these passages so that you can start to see the importance of this tale to Tolkien's mythology. But even more important, these were tales that he would tell his children. And as much as you and I love the lore of Tolkien, we must respectfully remember, we were not his first audience. His family was. And we'll see at the end of the tale just how monumental it was for Tolkien, particularly after the death of his beloved Edith. Not only is this story beloved by Tolkien's family, but from the union of Baron and Luthien come many of the pivotal characters of later ages in Middle-earth. Elrond and Arwen come from this union, as well as Elros, the first king of Numenor, and through the generations of his line come Elendil and Isildur, who found the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor, and also Aragorn. So this tale sets in motion many downstream effects that give us the Middle-earth of the Third Age that we know and love so much. Okay, a little more foundation setting before we get to the story. Because this tale was one of the earliest, Tolkien often tinkered with it throughout the rest of his life. The overall structure of the narrative was apparent, and he referred to the tale many times in the Lord of the Rings works. We'll get to a few of those references later. But the story was never fully fleshed out in a way that was satisfactory to Tolkien. We owe a lot to Christopher Tolkien for editing his father's works and giving us the Silmarillion. That said, late in Christopher's life, he published a book, creatively titled Baron and Luthien, wherein he provided several iterations of his father's manuscript, all in various states of detail and polishing, with a little commentary. It's a fascinating read for the real nerdy Tolkien fans like me, which figures Telvildo, Prince of Cats, who didn't make it into any final manuscript nor is referenced anywhere else, but also shows the beginnings of a dark necromancer named Thu, a character who would be later developed into our more familiar dark lord Sauron. For those interested, I have placed a link in the show notes to purchase Christopher Tolkien's book, Baron and Luthien, from Amazon. I will need to tread carefully as we examine this story, because more than just one book has been written based on this one chapter alone. However, I want to point out some foundational motifs that we will see in the story of Baron and Luthien. They are physical suffering, including sacrifice, light versus shadow, the power of song and music, choice versus doom or fate, strong female characters, faithful companions, and of course, the overall theme of immortality versus mortality. Looking for these motifs, I think, will give you a deeper richness in absorbing this story. Another story mechanic I want to point out is the use of liminal spaces. Liminal spaces are the in-between states, the thresholds that separate different physical spaces or even opposing metaphysical forces. I think the human mind finds something deeply intriguing in these in-between spaces, particularly in fantasy and science fiction. And the story of Baron and Luthien transverses in and out of many liminal spaces. Okay, enough English Lit 101. Let's get to the story. The tale of Baron and Luthien begins with Baron's father, Badahir, friend and rescuer of Finrod. Badahir is stranded with 12 companions, but continues to hinder Morgoth's plans so much so that Morgoth dispatches his lieutenant Sauron to seek out and destroy them. Sauron is able to capture one of Badahir's companions by deceiving him that his wife is alive and will be returned to him if he gives up Badahir's location. The companion does so, at which point Sauron laughs at him and reveals that, quote, he had only seen a phantom devised by wizardry to entrap him. However, Sauron keeps his word and sends Badahir's companion to join his wife by putting him, quote, cruelly to death. I share this bit because it demonstrates the brutal operations of Sauron, but I also like to think of Sauron as a servant, powerful yes, but still a servant of the even more powerful and cruel Morgoth. As Sauron is portrayed in the books and movies, he is the Dark Lord, but sometimes I like to imagine him as the cleanup guy for Morgoth. The servants of Morgoth close in and kill Badahir and his companions, cutting off Badahir's hand, which included the ring from Finrod, as a token to Sauron that the mission had been completed. However, Badahir's son, Baron, was far away from the camp on a spy mission. 
In a dream, he is directed to quickly return to the camp and warn his father, but he is too late. After burying Padahir, Baron tracks the orcs that had slain his father and friends and, quote, sprang from behind a rock and slew the captain, and taking the hand and the ring he escaped, being defended by fate, for the orcs were dismayed and their arrows wild. So we're beginning to see a few of those motifs that I mentioned earlier, fate in particular. Was it mere chance that Baron was away from the camp when the orcs attacked, or some fate that intervened? We see that fate defended him as he ran after recovering his father's hand. We'll see more characters wrapped up in this fate, but also opportunities for choice. Also, this is not the first time a hand has been cut off. If you remember Maedros being saved by Fingon, they had to cut his hand in order for him to escape. The detail of hands will become more vital later in Baron's story. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Baron wandered in the wilderness for four more years, and being alone, he was befriended and aided by birds and beasts. During this time, quote, he did not fear death, but only captivity, and was able to continue doing more daring deeds against the servants of Morgoth. And news of these deeds came even to the protected kingdom of Doriath, where Thingol the Elven King and Melian the Maiar ruled. Baron became Morgoth's number one enemy, and so, quote, an army was sent against him under the command of Sauron. So you can imagine what sort of damage Baron was able to do if Morgoth wanted him dead so badly that he would send Sauron with an army to root him out. By the way, this alludes to a much bigger pattern. In this tale, we see that Sauron's chief deeds of evil are pitted against the race of men, whereas the evil of Morgoth is pitted against the race of elves. This pattern is revealed heavily in Middle-earth's first age, where the main contesting powers are between Morgoth and the elves, yet in the second and third ages, the main contesting powers are between Sauron and men, mostly, although he still needs to contend with elves. But I digress. Back to Sauron and Baron. In his army, Sauron brings werewolves, which are described as, quote, fell beasts inhabited by dreadful spirits that Sauron had imprisoned in their bodies. Exactly who these dreadful spirits were or how Sauron imprisoned them in the beast's bodies were not told. Regardless, they sound pretty ghastly. So Sauron and his army with werewolves begin to press Baron deeper into the wilderness. In the end, he climbs the heights of Gorogoroth, the Mountains of Terror, and from that height he can see far in the south, the kingdom of Doriath. Quote, There it was put into his heart that he would go down into the hidden kingdom, where no mortal foot had yet trodden. Let's look at this for a second. The passive voice here is interesting. Quote, it was put into his heart. I see here more fate. Some doom, again, is intervening. For no mortal man had ever entered Doriath, yet Baron is given the idea to do so. But the idea doesn't come to his mind, it comes to his heart. That symbolic center for love and passion. And yet again, the selective reminder that Baron is a mortal, one of the secondborn of Iluvatar, who is not blessed with the immortality of the elves. Some elves, maybe even those in Doriath, would say that his mortality made Baron somewhat lesser to the elven race. One last call out here. Do you remember a few episodes ago when I covered the chapter of the coming of men into the West? I think it was episode 17. Melian, the Maiar and wife to King Thingol, shares a prediction with Galadriel. Quote, one of men, even of Bayor's house, shall indeed come. 
and the girdle of Melian shall not restrain him, for doom greater than my power shall send him, and the songs that shall spring from that coming shall endure when all Middle-earth is changed. Baron is indeed from Beor's house, and there is that motif of doom, or fate, again. Baron is being led, by some power even greater than Melian's, to Doriath. So Baron climbs down from the mountain, and blazes a southward journey to Doriath. However, the land between the mountains and the northern border of Doriath is a horrific land, being filled with, quote, shadows that were laid before the rising of the moon. It was in this land that the spider monster Ongoliant had dwelt for a time, after escaping the fiery whips of the Balrogs, and she had left behind many spider descendants. Other monsters dwelt there, quote, that were born in the long dark before the sun. This journey through the haunted land is considered not the least of Baron's deeds, though he did many. And so, passing through the haunting land, he passes through the girdle of Melian into the kingdom of Doriath. Here we get a major liminal space. This monstrous land is in between what used to be an elven stronghold in the north and the kingdom of Doriath in the south. In this wilderness, quote, the sorcery of Sauron and the power of Melian came together. So here's the space where two opposing forces meet, Sauron and Melian, both powerful Maiar, neither able to overthrow the other. It's through this land, this contested, horrific land, that Baron journeys. The man that enters it is not the same as the man who leaves it. And the meeting that happens after this transformative journey is a convergence that will change Middle-earth forever. Please join me next week, where we'll go over the first meeting of Baron and Luthien, the impossible quest that Luthien's father consigns Baron to, and how Baron and Finrod are tortured in the dungeons of Sauron's Tower. Hi friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at lordoftheringspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Raise your hand if this has happened to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to-do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost, and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.